1 Kings chapter 18. We'll read more through the course of the message, but right now I think we'll begin reading at verse 20. So 1 Kings 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people, and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. The God that answers by fire, let him be God. And we've been talking about Elijah, a character from the Old Testament, a prophet of God who, who took God's message and, and relayed it to the people. But in the New Testament, in the book of James, chapter 5, it tells us this, that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So, we've talked already about how Elijah went and confronted King Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel, the queen, had introduced, or had had uh, perhaps not introduced Baal worship to Israel, but they had institutionalized Baal worship and made it a part of made it a, a part of the uh, a part of their their national fabric, if you will. And he had gone to Ahab. He had said for he he had said it will not rain until I say so, and it hadn't for three and a half years. God had taken care of Elijah, but it had not rained, and so Israel was facing all of the. Uh, economic and, and 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 physical consequences of not having rain. So now it's time. It's been three and a half years. It hasn't rained. So now it's time for Elijah to confront Ahab with the inability of Ahab's God to bring the rain. And so that's where we break into this right here. And Elijah... Elijah tells Ahab, gather the prophets of Baal, bring them here, and let's have a contest between your God and my God. And this is the question Elijah was asking. And this is the question I want you to be thinking about as we're studying this tonight. Who is the one true God? Who is worthy of worship? If there's anything human history has taught us, it is that we can call anything God. Um, we can worship anything. But not everything people call God is truly God. Now, I, I believe very strongly in freedom of religion and freedom of conscience. God gave us a free will for a reason, and that is so that each one of us can choose freely to worship God or not to worship God. Um, it's not the government's role to tell you or me what to believe. I don't want them deciding where we should live based on, on religion or, or, um, or who should live here on the basis of religion. I believe in freedom of religion. I believe it's a gift of God. It's a right given to every human being to decide who they will worship. 
God could have forced us all to worship him, and he didn't do that. But, but because we believe in the free will of people to choose who they worship does not mean that every choice is equally valid. I can make a wrong choice or I can make a right choice. And this question must be asked. This question that Elijah asked, is your God worth serving? And I would ask that. Obviously, I stand here behind the pulpit as a, as a Christian, but I would ask that of everybody here today. Is your God worth serving? Um, Elijah, inspired by God, called for a contest between the one true God and the imposter. He called for a contest that would settle this issue in Israel once and for all. And I've got to tell you, Elijah, just to be fair, Elijah's God lost the contest in a couple of areas. You know how a lot of times in contests they'll have ribbons for uh, you know, different things and you can win on some levels and lose on some levels and whatever. And you know, just like school awards, you get the award sometimes for most improved student or or something like that, and it's not necessarily the highest award, but you still get an award. Well, Elijah's God lost in some areas. He did not have the most prominent public support at this contest. Um, there were still 7,000 that had not given in to Baal worship in the country, but they weren't there. They were hiding out because their lives were threatened. The king and queen... The king was there, apparently, and the king was against him. The queen was against him. The, the, the prominent powers were against Elijah and Elijah's God. So he lost the contest there. He lost the contest when it came to numbers. He was one guy against 450. I don't know how many fights you've been in. I haven't been in a whole lot myself. But I know this. If I show up one guy to take on 450, I'm probably going to lose. Uh, absent some divine intervention, which was what Elijah needed. So he lost in those two areas. He didn't have the biggest numbers. He didn't have prominent public support. But Elijah's God won the contest in the crucial area. He sent the fire. He was the one God to send the fire. And I want to look today at these steps that led to the fire falling on the sacrifice. So I've got, of course, three points. And... Let's look at these. There are lessons for us in each one. So the first lesson that I find from Elijah in, in this, or a, this, this story is there was a crisis that brought questions. There was a crisis that brought questions. You know, as long as things are going well, we can coast along pretty well, right? Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we coast along. And as long as things were going well, nobody, not many people, I should say, had a problem with Baal worship. Most people are comfortable to go with the flow when things are going, going well. Even politically, when there's a good economy. It doesn't really matter who's in power, but they tend to stay in power in a good economy, and they tend to lose power in a bad economy. It doesn't matter which party or who's in power. That tends to be the way things go. And when the rain stopped and the economy collapsed in, in Israel... All of a sudden, people began to wonder if they were going down the wrong road. And one thing we need, to be, we need to pray for people is we need to pray that they will come to a crisis in their lives. I'm not talking necessarily about a tragedy in their lives or, or a particular event, 
but something in their lives that causes them to question what they truly believe and if the God that they serve is worth believing in. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. And people need to be brought, we need to be brought to the point of examining our worship and our lifestyle and asking, is my God worth serving? Is my religion worth having? And often that happens at a point of crisis. I went through a crisis like that as a teenager. I assume many of you have gone through that crisis as well, where you have asked those questions. And it was a crisis that brought that question to the forefront for the people of Israel. The, the people that were serving Baal at the time, or actually, as we'll find out, not completely serving either the one true God or Baal. But, but they were brought to a crisis because it hadn't rained for three and a half years. They were, they were hungry, they were thirsty, and they were in need of answers. And so when they came to this contest, they had questions. They were wondering, who is the one true God? Who is the one we should serve? Who is the one we should follow? And so we need to be careful when people come to these crises. Often we can help them maybe, uh, or, or our, our tendency maybe is to say, oh, don't worry about it right now, worry about that. Well, sometimes God brings crises into our lives so that we will worry about it, so that we'll face up to these questions and answer them, um, answer them for ourselves. So this crisis brought questions. Verse 17 says, It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? The question, are you the one? Are you the one who's causing all these problems? Well, Ahab knew he was because Elijah had come to Ahab and said, it's not going to rain for three and a half years until I say it rains. But Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed Balaam. It brought questions. It even brought questions from Ahab. Are you the one who's causing this trouble? But then there was a challenge. Elijah issued a challenge, and the, the crisis brought questions. This challenge brought silence. Verse 21, it says, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And what did the people say? They answered him, Not a word. You wouldn't either if it was one against 450. And one, one of them said, What do you think? Who are you going to follow? Um, at least if you agreed with him, you probably wouldn't answer. Elijah said, how long will you halt between two opinions? And that word, halt, when, when the King James Version was translated, it meant something a little different. Remember in the New Testament where he talks about the halt and the maimed and the blind and whatever? It meant lame. And literally... Elijah is giving them the picture of someone wandering around or, or limping around on two crutches. One crutch Baal worship, one crutch worship of the true God, not entirely putting their weight on either one, but limping between these two opinions. These two, uh, on one hand, they were afraid of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and on the other hand, they were afraid of, or on the other hand, they knew from their history that they had worshipped Jehovah and he had done mighty things in the past. And they weren't willing to be solidly on either side. They limped along, not fully embracing Baal, and not fully embracing the one true God. 
So Elijah issued the challenge. If the Lord is God, if Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. My cousin uh, was very sensitive growing up, very sensitive to spiritual things, and she would ask her brother, also my cousin, John, are you saved? And she was very concerned about his soul, especially when he answered, yes, and let's don't talk about it. And that's amusing as, as kids, but it's the attitude of a lot of people today, not just kids, who, are com- who aren't comfortable with abandoning God completely, but they're too attached to the world to take a stand for Jesus Christ, to take a meaningful stand for God. People talk about getting their praise on, but they haven't put their perversion off. They haven't put their sin away before they get their praise on. And, and so they're trying to limp between two opinions, to hold on to the crutch of the wor- worship of the one true God on one hand and the crutch of the world on the other. And they're worship- trying, to, trying to, to maintain this middle ground that does not exist. And Elijah said, stop trying to hang around in the middle ground, but choose who you're going to serve. And you can choose. Every single one of you can make this choice who you're going to follow. And I have to make this choice who I'm going to follow. If the world is right, and they're saying there is no truth, there is no creator, there are no moral boundaries, and then you have the right to go ahead and follow that worldview to where, wherever it ends up. And we're seeing right now, in a small way, we're seeing where that worldview ends up that says there are no moral absolutes. Um, and I, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to follow that worldview. But if it's true, if it's true, and I'm being very careful how I say this, if it is true, which it is not, but if it, if it were true, then you ought to follow it. But if, on the other hand, the Bible is true, if God is real, if God has expectations for you and requirements for you, if there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid, then we need to stop playing around. We need to give Him everything we've got. Stop trying to limp along, believing in one hand on the one true God, sort of, but on the other hand, holding on to the world's entertainments and the world's values and the world's, uh, the world's attractions. Let's, let's choose who we're going to serve. He gave them this challenge and they were quiet. But then verse 23, we see that there was a contest that brought clarity. There was a contest that brought clarity. And Elijah said, let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And I find it very interesting that Elijah didn't play the part of a salesman here. You go to a salesman, and what do they do? You go to buy a car. Okay? They're going to tell you everything that's good about that car, and they're going to minimize its weaknesses. And if you, if you uh, compare another car that they're not selling, you know, if they've got it on the lot, no problem. But if they don't have it on the lot, then they're going to tell you all the bad things about that car, but none of the good things. They'll attack it on its weaknesses. Okay? It's not quite a... Nat- Are there any salespeople here? Okay, I hope not. Uh, they're basically all liars. Okay, that's just... No, not really. But... 99%. Um, 
that wasn't even in here. It's not even it's not even related really. Other than the fact that other than the fact that the salesman will will attack the the weak points of the other option. They won't tell you the strong points. Okay, so if I'm trying to sell you on, on my religion and trying to attack yours, our tendency is to go for the low-hanging fruit and look for the things that are easy to point out as weaknesses. Because we don't, sometimes perhaps we're afraid to engage with the strengths of other religions. Because every religion is an attempt to reach up and, and to um, and, and they answer life's deepest questions. And, um, and so Elijah did not challenge this religion at the point of its weakness. There were some terrible things about Baal worship he could have attacked, and, and they were terrible and worthy of attack. Um, it was not a holy religion. There was child sacrifice involved. Horrible, horrible sin of child sacrifice. There was immoral worship practices. The followers of Baal were wicked. They weren't holy people. They didn't do what was right. Those would have been the weak areas he could have attacked. But Elijah challenged Baal worship at its strength, at its very, at its very, at what people perceived to be its strongest point, because he wanted to make it clear. He wanted to make it clear that Baal is not the one true God. And it's easy for anyone to attack low-hanging fruit, but he said, I want to go for I want to go for the main point of this religion. Baal was the god of the heavens, who supposedly had the power to send and withhold lightning, rain, and storms. And the rain had been withheld for three and a half years, but it was not withheld on Baal's terms. Elijah came and said the rain is going to stop, and the rain stopped. And Elijah said it's not going to rain until I say it comes again, and it hadn't come again yet. Elijah had announced the drought. It wasn't going to end until he announced... I'm sorry, it was going to end on his terms. So now Elijah's proving his point further by challenging Baal to send lightning to signify his acceptance of their sacrifice. And, not, and so, so according to the prophets of Baal, that would be on Baal's turf, right? He's the God who send, sends lightning, so they were trusting him to do that. And Elijah said, you take the point of your God's strength, and that is where I'm going to challenge him, at the point of his strength. And not only that, he gave Baal's prophets the first opportunity. That's interesting. If they succeeded in calling lightning down, Elijah's life wouldn't have been worth very much. One against 450 plus the king and plus the people. But Elijah was so certain that Baal was not going to send lightning and his God was, that he said, you guys go first. And you put your offering on the wood, and you put your offering on the altar, and let, and, and let, uh, and then ask your God to send the lightning. So the prophets came from all over. The children of Israel and this massive group met on Mount Carmel. And the rules of the contest were simple. Every contest has rules, right? And this contest had rules. Elijah and the prophets of Baal got one bowl apiece. One for Elijah, one for the prophets of Baal. These were prepared for sacrifice. They were laid on wood on the altar. The prophets of Baal would call on their gods. Elijah would call on his. Whichever god sent fire to the sacrifice would be the one that the people served. And 
the people said, this is good. We agree to these terms of the contest. So at verse, in verse 25, Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them. They dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out from them, and there was no answer. Now Elijah was not mocking them, I don't believe, because he was... Uh, just given to mockery for no reason, but I believe he wanted to point out to those people that were watching that this is not the one true God. And he wanted to make it very clear to them what was happening in that contest. They went from morning to midday begging their God to send the lightning. No lightning came. Now that was another thing. He was the God of the sun, and the sun was hottest at noon. And, and Elijah gave them till noon, and then he gave them beyond that. But finally in the evening... It was Elijah's turn. And he did six things. Six things. He repaired the broken altar. There was an altar that had at one time been used to worship the one true God. And now it was in disrepair. And if we want God's power on our lives, we're going to have to repair some broken altars in our lives. Some places where we used to go and call on God. Maybe the altar of morning devotions. Maybe the altar... Of, of, of communion with God, maybe the altar of intercession for others, maybe the altar of obedience and separation from the world. But we're going to have to rebuild some of those altars. And Elijah put that altar back into place where it could be used again to make sacrifices to the one true God. He put the stones in place, 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel, and repaired that altar that had fallen into disrepair. Then he took a shovel or whatever they used, and dug a trench, or had others dig a trench around the altar. So now there's this altar and there's this ditch around it. He put everything in order. He got the bowl ready, prepared it just how it was supposed to be. He put the wood beneath it, no fire, but he put the wood beneath it, and then the bowl on top. And then he asked for them to bring four barrels of water. Now Mount Carmel is right by the sea. And so they would have had salt water there, even though it hadn't rained for a long time. And so they brought four barrels of water. He said, pour it on the sacrifice. Now, generally, water does not help start fires, right? It puts them out. Um, it doesn't always put them out. I found that out the other day. But normal fires, water puts out. Does not put out lightning, lighter fluid. Um... So he asked for these four barrels of water, and then he said, pour them on the sacrifice and on the wood. So they poured four barrels of water on the sacrifice and on the wood. I don't know how big of a bowl it was. I don't know how big the altar was. I just know that's a lot of water to pour on a, on, on that, in that space. And then he said, go get another four barrels of water. And they've got another four barrels of water. They poured those there as well. And then he said, go again, get another four barrels. Three times they got four barrels of water. That's 12 barrels of water. They poured it on the altar until it overflowed and, um, and, and filled the trench that he had dug around it. So then he said, it's enough, and he prayed. 
And I want to read that prayer because it wasn't a long prayer. Although he'd been praying for three and a half years. But verse 36 says, It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And Elijah prayed that short prayer. And lightning struck that sacrifice. Fire fell from heaven and proved which one was truly God. Verse 38, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. There was nothing left. God had proved who was truly God. Let me ask you this evening, that question Elijah was asking, who is worthy of your worship and your obedience? I want to answer that, the God that answered by fire. A few hundred years after Elijah, another prophet appeared. He was so much like Elijah that many thought he was Elijah come back from the dead. And that man was John the Baptist. He preached of a coming Savior who would come with fire. Not the same fire that struck the altar in Elijah's day. But a fire that penetrates even deeper than that one. Verse 16, John said unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff will he, he will burn with fire unquenchable. There is a contest going on in every human heart. And it's this contest of who is worthy to be worshipped. There is only one God who will answer by fire and purge the sin from your heart in this life, and He is the one who is worthy of your worship. This is what I'd ask you to do. I would ask you, you know, God is faithful. He revealed Himself to Israel in that case through, through Elijah. I would ask you to ask this God who answers by fire to reveal Himself to you, to show Himself to you, and ask Him to come in with His fire in your life and purge out everything that doesn't belong and make you fit for the Master's use, fit for God's kingdom, fit for heaven, fit for eternity, fit for service in His kingdom. And God wants to answer by fire in your life. I encourage you to come back next Sunday night because that's not the end of Elijah's story. We talked today about the champion of faith, and Elijah won a mighty victory for, uh, through God and was empowered by God to win a mighty victory in that case. God won a mighty victory through him, maybe I should say. But after this, Elijah went through a deep valley of depression where he was like, God, I just wish you would take me home. Let me die. I'm done. There's nothing left to live for. And next week, we're going to finish the story of Elijah and talk about the comfort of faith and how God spoke to him when he was going through this deep valley. So I hope you'll come back for that. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. And God used him to win mighty victories through faith, but God also kept him 
through faith. And I hope you'll come back next week for that. But ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask the God who answers by fire, the one true God who is worthy to be worshipped, to reveal himself to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace today. We thank you for your power that you demonstrated in this contest. And Lord, the power that you'll demonstrate to every honest heart who's seeking who's seeking for truth, who's seeking for you. I pray that you'll help us, Father, help each one of us to examine our faith, to examine, to examine our lives and to ask if they measure up to your requirements and to your purpose for us. And I pray that you'll help us, Lord, by your grace to be all that you want us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.